Well, good morning. Glad you are here with us today. I want to just start out by thanking everybody again who's been working on our building. If you uh, don't notice or didn't notice, uh, they're redoing all the children's space to give us more space and to make access to the children's areas uh, much less available. Uh, to anyone that wants to, we want to make sure that that area is secure, and so we're working it out so that access to all the children's uh, rooms are down one hallway so our security people can take note of that and watch it better. And I just appreciate uh, all of the men and women who are working on that stuff and, and making that stuff happen. I really appreciate you. Uh, uh, as you have already heard, uh, Chris Nardi and I got back, uh, I don't know when it was, Wednesday, I think, <laughs> Uh, Wednesday night, late Wednesday night from the Philippines, and I want to share with you, uh, we'll get back to Acts, we may not finish Acts till 2019, but we will finish it, uh, but I just really felt God prompting me to share with you what happened there and how it has affected me and I think how it will affect uh, my ministry and our church's ministry. Um, uh, I've been on many, many mission uh, endeavors uh, since I was a teenager, and uh, this one I think is, is life-changing. Uh, for me, and I hope for us. And so don't view this, I'm going to spend this morning just sharing with you what happened. Uh, Don't view this morning as coming over to my house and watching the slides of my vacation. That's not what this is, but I want you to see what God's doing there. I want you to see how we can partner there, and I want you to see how maybe we need to change some things about the way we're doing them here. Um, A few uh, months ago, I uh, set my alarm on my phone uh, at uh, 10.02 every day except Sunday mornings. Every morning my alarm goes off at 10.02. That reminds me to pray uh, about Luke 10.2. Luke 10.2 uh, says that the uh, harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I don't think we believe that. I think we believe that we're doing everything that we can do, and the problem is God's not bringing people uh, to salvation. But if we believe what Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. The problem is there aren't enough laborers. And that word laborers really means hard workers, not casual people that stand by. Folks, I want today to challenge us. I want it to just open our minds and our hearts to what God can do through us. First of all, thank you for the opportunity to go on your behalf and represent you and uh, the kingdom of God in the Philippines. Uh, Chris and I left uh, Monday morning, October 12th, so it'll be two weeks tomorrow uh, for the Philippines. And for those of you who have been on international flights, um, they are jam-packed. Every seat was full. uh, And uh, thank the Lord for those video things. I think I watched 10 movies. I don't know how many I saw, but uh, it helped make the the time pass by. But uh, we flew from Kansas City to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Tokyo, Japan, and then from Tokyo, Japan to Manila. And so we arrived uh, Tuesday night. We lost 12 hours on the way. And uh, so it took us uh, virtually, you know, 30 35 hours, it seemed like, uh, to get there. But when we got there, we moved into our hotel. Now, this is the, the view outside of our, ho- our first hotel, and you can see the area uh, right outside underneath, right, right in this area, is kind of a dump, uh, and there's some really poor, poor housing right here. You see these buildings in the background? Those are high-rise apartments for people of a very different economic class, and they live that close to one another. There's many, many places where uh, one side of the street lives completely different than the other side of the street. Uh, Let me explain a little bit about the culture there. 70% of the population is under 25 years old. You hear that? 70% of the population is under 25 years old. There's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, One of them is that uh, medical care is not quite. They're they're a little behind us. Uh, Also, uh, when you you see the... um, 
<laughs> when you see the traffic, uh, uh, you know, if you have a heart attack and you're not close to a hospital, like within walking distance where somebody can carry you, you might get an ambulance there in an hour, but it's going to take you another two hours to get you to the hospital. You're, you're just dead. Uh, so that's a, par- a part of it also. But also probably the most uh, significant contributing factors are that 85 to 90% of the population are, are nominal or non-practicing Catholics. Now what that means is that, um, uh, well, Western culture has kind of seeped in there. So there's a lot of uh, promiscuity uh, uh, with young people, uh, but they don't uh, have abortions there. And so children are having children, and now they're on their second and third generations of children having children and children having children. And so 70% of the population is under 25 years old. Uh, and so when you're walking around, you feel like you're at youth camp all the time, even when you're walking through the city. I did, however, really enjoy getting on an elevator, 20 other people getting on the elevator, and I thought to myself, this is what it's like to be Derek. Because they were all this tall, and I could see over them. Like, this is a great culture. It's the first culture I've ever been in where I'm actually tall. That was kind of interesting. I mentioned the economic classes. They are A, B, C, D, and E. The A class are uh, international businessmen uh, making six figures or, or, or more. Uh, the B class are kind of the professional. A lot of call centers are moving uh, from India uh, to uh, the Philippines. Don't start clapping. Uh, because uh, in the Philippines, you have to learn English to graduate from high school now. Um, and, and they have a, a better accent, really, uh, to understand for Americans. Uh, security personnel are also in the B class. Uh, every single building has a security guard. Most of them aren't armed. Uh, but they stand in front of the uh, buildings, act as, as really door greeters more than anything else. Um, C-class is more blue-collar workers. Uh, the D-class are more servants, personal chefs and maids, those kind of servant uh, positions. And then the E-class are farmers and the, and the truly destitute, the, the, the barely alive poor. And these people, uh, sometimes there are some streets there where the E-class lives right across the street from the B-class. And so you look over here and you see one Uh, Manila, and you look over here, and it's a completely different world. In Metro Manila, there are 12 million people in 250 uh, square miles. Now, we call it Metro Manila because Manila used to be a city with several suburbs around it, but they have grown so much that now it's just, there's no delineation. I mean, it's kind of like Gladstone being swallowed up by Kansas City. So then I talk about it in terms of Metro Manila, and these uh, sections that used to be suburbs are now parts of, uh, in a sense, Manila. But think about this. There's 12 million people in 250 square miles. Here in Kansas City, Kansas City proper, there's half a million people in 315 square miles. There, there's 12 million people in only 250 square miles. Here's what that means. Uh, if you were to walk out today, and if you were to go to Zona Rosa, if every person you saw, there was a pack of 24 people right there around them, and, there were, and you looked around, and instead of individuals, you see packs of 24 people, that's what it's like to be in Manila. I mean, there are people everywhere. The traffic is horrible uh, in downtown, literally. Uh, I mean, if, if you want to, you know, if you go with us in March, by the way, think about that. Be praying about that as we talk today. Uh, in downtown, we can walk somewhere in 10 minutes that would take you 25 minutes to drive. And so that's how it kind of works in public transportation there. There's buses. There's trikes, which is actually a motorcycle with a sidecar, a covered sidecar. Uh, motorcycles, pedestrians, uh, motorcycles basically they're all over the place, they go in between the cars, you know, they're not like Americans where you see somebody coming up in your rearview mirror and you want to open your door, uh, you know, they, these guys just, they, they let them go in between all of the, the cars because 
you know, they can't go anywhere. Motorcycles might as well. But you do have to be careful because it's not uncommon. It happened many times while we were there. We're walking down the sidewalk. Uh, the traffic's so bad that the motorcycles will just pull up on the sidewalk and be driving around the pedestrians. So it's, you've got to pay attention when you're there. But it's just people everywhere. And they have these things called jeepneys. Uh, this is the front half of a leftover World War II jeep that the Americans brought over, uh, and they've attached the back of a bus to it. Now, Filipinos love Americans, and one of the reasons is because the Americans uh, saved them from the Japanese in World War II. And so as we walk down the street, uh, the security guards are like, hello, sir, hello, sir, good afternoon, sir. I mean, they were very polite to us. They love Americans. It's not like some places in the world where they hate Americans. They absolutely love us, and we're pretty easy to spot. The traffic, like I said, is pretty bad. This is just very common. And so uh, it's just pretty scary. By the way, these guys know exactly where their bumpers are because they are like three inches from everybody. And I, I, was, I had a tendency to want to go, and I didn't do that, but it's, it's a little scary when you first get into the traffic. Uh, Wednesday, we toured the Mother Church. Now, we went there in connection with a missionary, Greg Lyons. Uh, Greg is a second-generation missionary to the Philippines, so he actually is an American citizen, but he grew up there in the Philippines, so he knows the language well, he knows the culture well. And uh, he's the pastor of Community Baptist Church in Pasig, which is one of the former suburbs, which is now part of Metro Manila. Uh, And it's also home to BBC Asia, Baptist Bible College Asia. Uh, They have several other ministries, Hoop hoop Heaven Basketball, which is kind of like our upward basketball. Uh, They have the Honest Deceivers Ministries, which are actually guys who have been saved. They were pickpockets and thieves. They've been saved, and now they do sleight of hand to draw crowds and share the gospel. Uh, They have a Kids Jam Fun Trucks ministry where they have these little fun trucks that are kind of like shorter uh, jeepneys and they go into uh, a community and they have like a one-day vacation Bible school and share the gospel. They have a tough guys ministry. These guys are all like 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th degree black belts in karate or jujitsu or some other uh, thing like that. Uh, And they draw a crowd for some of the church plants and, 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 and share the gospel with people by you know, setting cement blocks on fire and breaking them with their hands and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the other thing, though, is they use them for bodyguards. And so uh, Chris and I had one of the tough guys uh, uh, with us uh, most of the time as both our driver and our uh, bodyguard. Uh, they have uh, every single church has a music, a drama, and a dance team. And I know for Baptists, the whole dance thing is a little weird. But, but listen, they do it very tastefully. It's part of the worship. It's part of the culture there. It's part of every church. And by the way, they've got 20 church plants that they have planted that are successful. Uh, that, ought to, that ought to wake us up. That ought to get our attention. Greg introduced us to their strategy for church planting, and it's very different than here in the States. Here in the States... Um, uh, you know, basically we wait for a man to be called, feel like he's called to be a church planter. Then we, then we educate him, we teach him, we, we train him. He starts to build a launch team of people. And after they have 20, 30, 40 people, they start having Sunday services and trying to build momentum that way. Let me just share with you briefly their strategy because I think it's very different. They start uh, with a, a church planter. And by the way, uh, instead of training the church planters, they basically train everybody to be church planters, realizing that God will only call some. So instead of waiting for somebody to be called and then training just them, they train everybody, knowing that God will be called some. And the reason why is now they're going to start a church with this church planter, 
and three other couples that have been through the training, but these men haven't felt the call of God to be the main pastor. But they got all the training. They know how it's done. They know what to do. So they start three small groups, and the object for them is to lead their friends and neighbors to Christ through that small group. So evangelism is a big part of their small group process. And so after they have led, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten families to Christ, they multiply. And so the pastor, uh, the lead pastor now, maybe doesn't lead any of the small groups, or he maybe leads one or two, uh, but now people who've been trained are leading these small groups. And as these small groups have multiplied, and now as they get eight or ten families in their small groups through evangelism, uh, now they're ready to actually have Sunday services. So it's a very uh, different kind of strategy. And now, uh, with 10 or 12 groups of 10 or 12, 14 people, plus all the evangelism events that they've had over the course of maybe a year or 18 months, and the camp ministry feeding people in that we'll talk about here in just a minute, now they're ready to start a Sunday services. And so now uh, they start this church plant, and it's actually, at that time, they call it planted. Before that, they say that it's incubating. It's incubating, and so uh, that's how they have this strategy. Uh, Thursday, we spent several hours uh, with about 20 or so of their church planters. You see a few of them here. Uh, these are guys that are in uh, either, either towards the end of their incubation stage where they've already planted, they've already started uh, with the church having Sunday, um, Sunday services. Uh, they asked me to teach on some specific uh, uh, topics, so I taught on mileposts uh, instead of being driven by the calendar, being driven on things that are accomplished Uh, intentional evangelism, which I felt like they should be teaching me instead of me teaching them, spiritual warfare, and then developing a core group. Now, I think it's interesting. They're so nice, and they so don't want to offend us that I taught for an hour. By the way, uh, this is one of those situations where uh, I I thought I was, they had communicated to me beforehand I'd be teaching about an hour. And uh, the day before when we arrived, they said, no, 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 we have you slated for five hours. So, you know, uh, that's one of the benefits of being a long-winded pastor. You know, you can, you can stretch an hour into five hours pretty easily. But uh, I taught on mile posts, uh, mile markers, and uh, Greg came to me after we were all finished, and he was kind of laughing. I said, what's so funny? He said, well, uh, they were just talking in the back there. Uh, we don't have mile markers. They have no idea what you're talking about. But all of them were afraid to ask the question, what is a mile marker? Because they didn't want to embarrass you or, you know, anything, make, hurt your feelings. Like, I, you can't hurt my feelings that easy. But anyway, I just think that was interesting that they were like, they don't have any idea what mileposts are because they don't have any of those. Um, and we spent the rest of the day that day just kind of dealing with the jet lag and, and just trying to catch up. The next day, uh, we started on our way to the camp. And the camp is on the north end of the island. As we drove north, uh, we saw these guys just, uh, it looks like gravel or something out here on the street. What they're actually doing is, uh, these are farmers who have picked their rice, and rice has to be dried before the husks will come off of it. They don't have any machinery. So basically what they do is they pour their rice out, after they've picked it all, they pour their rice out on the street or on the highway, and they let it dry. So they're out there raking through this rice to get it to dry. And they'll do that for several days. And if a car comes the other direction, you just drive over the rice, and it's just not a big deal. Um, so they, that's how, what they're doing there. It's very strange and odd for us to see that, uh, but I wanted to share that with you. When we got to the camp, um, man, it was, it was amazing. We actually were there during what they call a teacher's camp. There were a 1,000 public school teachers that had come for what was billed as leadership camp. 
And so they spent the first day sharing about leaders, the characteristics of great leaders. Who are some great leaders in history? Oh, Jesus is one. Let's talk about him. Oh, and by the way, you can't be a great leader like Jesus unless you give your life to him. They do camp very different than we do it. Um, as Greg and I talked, he said, here's the way Americans basically do camp for, for youth. Because this camp is most of the time doing youth camps. But what's happened is they've led so many young people to Christ that now the teachers and the parents are like, what's going on? Crime has gone uh, way down in our school. Obedience has gone way up. The students are acting differently, even as a whole. By the way, the church is right across the street from the world's now. used to be the largest, but now the second largest school in the world. They have 40,000 students. That's, you know, that's a Chiefs game on a bad day, Okay. 40,000 students, and they run three shifts to get them all through. So the school's open 24 hours a day. But they've seen such a change in the student body. Now teachers and um, uh, parents are going to, to try to understand what it is. But here's the way we do camp, he said, and I think he's got a point. Uh, you know, we, we have kids uh, wrestle up 350 bucks to go to camp for a week, five days out of their summer. Uh, we invite all the church kids to go together, and they go, and they go to a lame camp. The music's not very good, the speaker's not very good, and they don't want to go back. He said, here's how we do it. We ask every student to pay just $10, a little bit of skin in the game, but the church picks up all the rest of the cost. We do it top-notch. And I mean, it is a, it is a show and a half. Uh, and the really cool thing is uh, all of the uh, churches uh, run buses up to the camp, and when a kid shows up, Every churched kid has to have two unchurched kids with him or he doesn't get on the bus. Every one of their churched kids knows if you don't bring two of your lost friends, you don't go to camp. And so they do that. And so when they get there, uh, they've got at least two-thirds of the crowd are kids who haven't made a profession of faith in Christ. Uh, they have this top-notch camp. It's only two days, and they share the gospel with them. Well, as we watched, and of course, here's some, you know, just pictures of the band and they have this great dance team and, and they're just, they're really uh, top-notch, like I said. At the end of the day, on this first day, a gentleman got up and spoke. And there you can see a thousand, thousand folks there, you know, all this crowd. You know, all these people here, all, all, around, all the way around over here. And at the end, he uh, began to share about Jesus. These are people who've raised their hands saying, I'd like to give my life to Christ. They put two crosses up on the stage that are covered in red ink. And they said, here in a minute, if you'd like to pray to receive Christ as your Savior, we'd like you to walk across the stage, put your thumb on the cross, and get that ink on your finger, and then we're going to take you to a counseling room. And when you get there to your card, just put your thumbprint on there as a, as a way to seal the deal, as a way to seal your commitment to Christ. We stood there and we watched 557 public school teachers walk across a stage committing their life to Christ for the first time. Oh, man. And I, quote, I know some cynics will say, now come on, 557 out of 1,000, those can't all be true. Let's say half of them aren't true. When's the last time we led 250 people to Jesus? Let's say only 10% of them are true. When's the last time we led 50 people to Jesus in one setting? Folks, something's going on here. Now, I understand they're in a culture that's different than ours. Uh, all these people are friendly towards Jesus because they're non-practicing Catholics. They know who Jesus is. They know about Jesus, but they don't know what it's like to give their life to Jesus. I want you to experience just about 30 seconds of what it was like to watch that invitation.
Now, you see some kids there at the end. Uh, those were some kids of teachers, uh, single-parent teachers. So they don't have anything to do with their kids, so they bring them to camp. They let them bring them to camp. So, so you see moms and teenage girls and, 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 and dads and teenage boys getting saved together. 557 crossed the stage. It took them about eight minutes to cross the stage. And then they have a uh, group of counselors that sit in council. They have to counsel about five or six each. Uh, so they're counseling them, taking them through the gospel again, uh, sharing with them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that they're all sinners, and without Christ, uh, no one can ever pay for their sins. And uh, they share that with them again, and they pray to receive Christ right there. Really amazing. Life-changing for me, ministry-changing for us. We'll talk about that in a little bit. That night, we didn't stay in the camp because there were no beds, so we stayed in this little beach bungalow uh, just about a half mile from the camp, and it is truly a beach bungalow. This is not a four-star hotel. Uh, um, you know, it's a, a two-inch mattress and, you know, a, a window air conditioner, which we were blessed by. Uh, uh, and, of course, the, the view, though, outside of our bungalow was the South China Sea, which was beautiful, great place to just reflect on what we've seen and what we experienced and uh, ask God for some understanding and clarity in that. Now, because of the time, we were, we were slated to stay the second day, but because there was a typhoon uh, hitting uh, the Philippines, by the way, thank you for praying for us. Uh, about noon of the second day when we were there, we began to see the trees really bending back, and the guy who was with us and was kind of our driver and guide, he said, uh, guys, we need to get you off this end of the island. We need to get you back to Manila. Uh, I, I think you must think Americans can't swim or something. I don't know what he thinks, but he said, we just need to get you guys out of here, and I trusted his judgment, so we, we went back to Manila that night. Uh, that night, we went to the B Mall, you know, not the upper class, but the second mall. By the way, these, there's three malls right next to each other. The A mall, the B mall, and the C mall. Now, they don't, you know, check your card when you get there to which class you're in. But the, the price tags, you know, definitely determine which class you're in. We went to the B mall, and uh, it is huge. It makes the Mall of America look like a strip mall. Uh, it's five stories high. It's a couple of miles long. It's just ginormous. There's an ice skating rink. Uh, I mean, just all kinds of things. And we noticed the Christmas decorations are out because they celebrate Christmas, all of the, what they told us, all of the Burr months. September, October, November, and December. So all the Christmas decorations are already out. They're celebrating uh, Christmas. Sunday morning, we went to the Mother Church in, in Pasug for church, uh, which uh, attendance was down because of the typhoon, which had hit the north end of the island. There were a lot of uh, fatalities in the north end where we were at previously the day before. Uh, not at the camp, but uh, in that part of the, the, the country, uh, a lot of flooding and a lot of um, uh, mudslides and things like that. At lunch, we had a little strange appetizer. Uh, these are, are whole fish. They're about the size of minnows, and they freeze-dry them and then uh, put a little salt on them, and, and they taste exactly like potato chips with a little fishy taste to them. So you pop the whole thing in your mouth, and Chris and I just smiled at each other and, and ate them. So that was, I just wanted you to see that. Uh, but their, their, their culture, as far as food goes, is a lot of uh, a Chinese influence, uh, a lot of Japanese influence, and American influence. So it's kind of a combination. By the way, the official language is uh, Tagalog, uh, but they really speak Tagalish, which is a combination. So they'll be talking first place, second place, third place, open 24 hours. And so there, you know, there's all these American English phrases uh, that are put into uh, their language. Kind of, so you can kind of follow what they're saying, even if they're talking uh, Tagalish. 
Sunday afternoon, we got the great opportunity uh, to go to Masinag, which is uh, one of the church plants that had been incubating for almost a year, and they had their very first public church service. Man, it was cool. Uh, We got there, and Pastor Arnold uh, was uh, there. We got to meet him, talk to him. He's a sharp guy, got a lot on the ball. Um, This was their very first church service. And you see there the, uh, the, the worship team is up on the stage. The dance team is all down here in front. And again, guys, that's done really tastefully. And it's very exciting. And it just adds to the worship. So every single one of their church plants has all of this stuff going on. That's part of the incubation period is people that are getting saved and getting involved are being trained so that when they eventually launch on Sunday mornings, they've got their own teams uh, ready to do this. Uh, here is, here in just a second, there's another picture. I want you to uh, just see a little uh, short video of me talking with Pastor Arnold and him explaining what's happening here today. Four, three, two, and... <laughs> Hi, we're here in the Philippines in Misanag, part of, the, of uh, Manila. And we're here at this uh, church plant starting the public services today with Pastor Arnold. Pastor Arnold, how many people would you estimate have been saved through your evangelistic efforts and your small groups and camp and everything? Yeah, through, uh, through uh, camp, youth camp and uh, small groups, discipleship, kids jump. Uh, around 600 people got saved in this uh, ministry. Wow, that's very exciting. And how many do you expect today to be here for the church's first service? I expect that 200, around 200 people that's uh, came from our small group and uh, ministry that we have. That's very exciting. Folks, that's why we at Fellowship of Grace need to continue to give to missions, to see churches planted all over the world. You are here by sponsoring us to be here. You are here with us today at this first service of this church plant with Pastor Arnold. God bless you, my friend. Sorry, our editing's a little to be get, uh, done there. But it, listen, this is his, his wife on the left leading a lady to Christ who was in the first service. Uh, she raised her hand, and she went right to her to share Christ with her and led her to Christ right outside the church. Uh, after the service, they baptized. The first day, they had 186 people in attendance at their first service. There were eight salvations in the service, and five people re- uh, got baptized afterwards. Really exciting time. I want us to partner with Pastor Arnold. I think we can really help him. And he's, he's a sharp guy with a lot on the ball. I think we can really minister to them and build a really great relationship with this church. Uh, Sunday afternoon, there's another picture of the baptism. Uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, we did that and then uh, got back to Metro Manila. Monday, we went to an executive pastor's meeting. Oops, let me save that for a minute. Went to an executive pastor's meeting with about 20 of their lead pastors, the the 20 church plants. And uh, I shared with them uh, some tips on embracing your call and motivating yourself as a pastor, realizing that uh, as the lead pastor, uh, really there's nobody to motivate you. We're here to motivate others. And so you have to learn how to motivate yourself and use the things that God has done in your life to motivate you. And so I shared that with them. Uh, Then uh, Chris Nardi, who was with me on the trip, uh, shared his testimony with them. And uh, Chris, I want you to come and just share with our folks kind of what you shared with them as quickly as you can. And uh, God bless you, my friend. Everybody, after he shared, uh, one of the pastors came up to me and he said, I wish I had a Chris. 
I said, well, I'm very blessed because I have 20 Chris's, but I will pray that you get a Chris. So share with them uh, what you shared with those guys that was so encouraging. Well, first of all, th- thank you for allowing me to share. And uh, I'll, I'll try to be a little briefer than I was in first service. <laughs> um, but really what this, what this church has meant to my family and I has just been incredible. Um, Joanna and I knew earlier on that we needed to get back into church. Each one of us on our own had, had come to that conclusion. And then we came here after someone Joanna had worked with. Uh, it was actually Scott, Tom- Scott Thompson had recommended coming here. And uh, it's about seven, eight years ago, and of course we haven't left. But um, we started to get more involved in the church. We started to get more involved in different ministries. Um, it started out with, like, Joanna would she get more involved in, in greeting and in connections table, and then she got involved in children's ministry. Um, back when we met at Congress Middle School, um, I had one. I had a four by four, so I, I got to pull the trailer, and uh, we used to go get everything out of the storage unit, bring it over to the church, and then of course after service, break it all back down again and, and put it back in the storage. But during that, I learned pretty early that you know we weren't we're not we're not growing little boys and girls. We're not raising children. We're actually raising men and women of God, and as I did, so did my children. So. While we were doing those things for ministry, while we were doing those things to help, you know, with, with the church, um, all of my boys came along also. We, we'd go, they'd get up early with me in the morning, we'd, we'd hit quick trip for breakfast, and then we would go and help set church up. And just to fast forward to today, um, like this morning, my one son was doing video tech. My other boys came along to help, they usually will help stuff the the bulletins and so forth, they each have a heart to help in ministry. And it's not only just because of what I do and what Joanna does, it's because what he sees or what they see each of you doing also. Anytime there's a need or a call, everyone, you rise to the occasion and you help out. Now, one of the amazing things that that I saw and I learned down down in the Philippines was I got to watch got to watch more about church planning. I got to sit, I got to listen to Michael teach them about church planning, and then I got to sit and hear them teach about church planning and see how they did church planning. And as I said earlier in the first service, there was more than just two guys getting together and say, let's start a church. It's the, the amount of, of prayer that it was bathed in, the amount of, of commitment for not only the, the pastors, but those, those couples who got together and to try and, and bring about a new church. And the way they discipled the others along, the way they brought people to Christ, um, is just, just awe-inspiring. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, you can clap for that. I really appreciated Chris going and being there, and we had a lot of really great talks, and I think God's not only doing something in my life, but doing something in Chris's life, and so you pray for both of us. Uh, The next day, uh, we went to a feeding center. This is a small church uh, in a very poor district, and uh, it's it's a church and feeding center. uh, This is their entire kitchen area. That's it. 
no more slides to show. Uh, this is the upstairs where they have church. And uh, what they do here is um, not only having church on Sundays, but in this feeding center, uh, children who live in that area, uh, they bring them in and they weigh them. If they're a certain amount underweight of the recommended weight, they put them on a program. They come for three or four meals a week until they get up to their required weight and then they're off the program. Uh, but they're bringing them in like this and parents don't eat. They're just helping, the, you know, basically starving children. They're helping feed them for the parents. So the parents come in and they help the kids eat and everything. Um, and I never saw a single parent take a bite. That was pretty cool that they were just there really to serve their children. Uh, but they also are, are discipling these people because uh, many of them let their children cross these busy streets and practically get killed. And um, in fact, while we were at the feeding center, um, somebody came and got some of the people. They had found uh, two children, uh, their dead bodies outside uh, underneath a bridge right in front of the feeding center and uh, uh, wasn't sure, right by the river, wasn't sure whether they got caught up in the dam and uh, drowned or whether they had been murdered, but um, those are the kind of things that are kind of commonplace for them in this community. Uh, but you see here, Chris serving the kids. We got a chance to actually serve them their meal and uh, bless them that way. I know if some of you went, this would, uh, this would really touch your heart. It'd really uh, break your heart. I, and while we were there, I met a young man named Luis, and he shared with me his testimony. And I said, would you share that on video? Because I would like the people at Fellowship of Grace to see that. And he had a little freak out, and then he said, yeah, I will do it. And so I want you to see his testimony. Share with me his testimony. And I wanted you at Fellowship of Grace to hear that. Luis, tell them what you shared with me. So my name is Luis Lincoln. And uh, I accept Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ in my life. May, May 21, 2007, is a X-Men camp. Pastor. Then, um, I'm thankful that uh, I accept God in my life in the camp. So, my past is uh, worse and my past is uh, uh, very uh, sad because my mom I just died and my father is scan uh, that I'm so so uh, sad but the grace of God uh, I'm thankful that this I have a hope and uh, and thankful because God is a uh, uh, powerful then now I'm decided to minister the church and uh, help the, the, my pastor. Then now from on, I'm 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 uh, studying the Bible school, BBC, Baptist Bible College Asia. I'm in third year Bible school. Then uh, I'm handed to small group three small group so he went on for quite a while there we just want to stop it there but uh i want you to understand what he, what he said there he said i got saved at x-men camp he said my life was very sad my mother died and my father was gone he was basically an orphan on the street and somebody from school invited him to camp and he gave his life to christ now he's ministering in the church he's on the music team 
He leads a small group. He's in his third year at BBC College, learning to be somebody who can help plant a church. And God's just absolutely revolutionized this kid's life. This kid went from a street orphan to somebody who's doing great things for the kingdom of God because somebody cared enough about him to simply invite him to camp and help him to hear the gospel. So that's my friend Luis. Later that day, we went down to the uh, large church in Cuiapo. Uh, It's the largest Catholic church on the island. Um, And here is the kind of street market where they sell everything. Uh, it's kind of for the it's kind of the mall for the D and E class, but as you get closer to the church, you see more and more idols that they're selling. Uh, you can you can honestly buy a plastic Jesus from any age, birth to toddler to whatever, and uh, these folks are totally and completely seeped into mysticism combined with Catholicism, and the idol worship is unbelievable. They're selling candles right outside uh, the church. And if you look here, you can see what they all mean. So if you burn a green candle, you're doing that for financial financial blessing or maybe a job. If you bu- uh, burn a pink candle, it gives you love and health. I mean, these are just, um, you know, mysticism thoughts right outside the church. And by the way, they're sanctioned by the church. When you go inside this incredible large building, even sadder than that is the number of people that are here in bondage uh, praying uh, that the works they do will save them uh, or that their commitment and their love for the church will save them. Here's where the priests are hearing confession. And uh, I, I got kind of called out by one of the security guards because I was videotaping in what they call the statue room. They've got some uh, very large, like, life-size statues, and they're all in glass cases, but there's always a hole in the case. So you can slide your hand inside the hole in the case and rub the statue. So you see people in line, and they'll come, they'll rub the statue, and then they'll rub their face to bless them. And they'll have their child, and they'll put their hand into the hole and rub the statue and rub their children's faces, blessing them. Uh, folks, these, these people don't know Jesus. They know about Jesus, but they don't know him. And... Uh, it, it will break your heart. I want to give you some final stats about the camp. Since they started in 2000, they've had 110,209 campers. Oh, this, is in, this is in 2014. Just in the year 2014, 110,209 campers. They had 49,085 receive Christ as their Savior. They had 21,902 committed to discipleship through the local church. And they had 11,015 baptized at the camp. They also had 6,147 apply to Bible college. Since 2000, this year they broke 1 million people that have come to camp and they've had 480,000 make professions of faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They expect to break a half a million by the end of this year. That is life-altering, folks. Life-altering. What does that mean for us? I think it's, uh, I mean, my mind, I've been both jet-lagged and my brain has been uh, going the whole time. Uh, as I shared before, I've been praying Luke ten two every day. You know, the harvest is plentiful. God is asking for laborers. I'm praying for laborers 
out of this room. I believe there are people sitting here in these nice comfy chairs that have the potential to be excellent church planters or definitely families that will help plant a church. I'm praying that before I either die or you guys push me out the door because I'm, I'm senile, we will plant 20 other churches. Here are a couple things that I want us to think about. I'm still mulling all this over, but I want you to know kind of where I'm at. First one is this. We must, we must be creative by having events that allow us to share the gospel with scores of people at a time who don't know Jesus. Look, Derek and I just went a month ago to the Clay Platt Baptist Association meeting where all the Baptist churches in Clay and Platt counties get together for a little meeting. Our church is leading one or two people a month to Jesus. We're one of the best. And, and I go, wow, that's, people are moving into our county faster than some of the best churches are leading them to Jesus. We are losing this battle, folks. We have got to find some creative way. And by the way, if you're a ministry leader in here, I'm going to challenge you. We've got to find a way to share the gospel with lost people and not one at a time. 20 at a time, 50 at a time, 100 at a time, 1,000 at a time. We have got to figure that out, folks. We got to. We got to. I mean, I, and I don't know what that means yet. Maybe the security team uh, uh, brings in, uh, you know, we have uh, uh, a lady in our church who is a uh, one step below captain, uh, like a, I don't know what she I don't know, uh, Donna I'm talking about. Was she a, I don't know, she's, she's high up in the Kansas City Police Department. Maybe she comes and she does a, um, uh, a, a seminar for women on self-defense. And we fill this room up with women who are here to learn how to defend themselves. And at the end of that, we share the gospel with them. And we have 50 people outside ready to talk to them if they want to give their lives to Christ. You know, I've been thinking about this. One of the things that I think is different, and I'm really glad we sang that song today about not being ashamed. I think what's happened in our culture is if we don't find the perfect balance, we're going to err on one side or the other. We're either going to err on the side of there are people waiting to hear the gospel and we don't share it with them because we want to err over here where there's people that are opposed to the gospel and we don't want to offend them. I want you to get over that. Okay? I just want you to get over that. If we have 100 people in this room who don't know Christ as their Savior and 10 of them are are antagonistic towards Jesus, let them be. I am not going to stop sharing the gospel so I don't offend them because there might be 20 people sitting here who need to hear about Jesus and are ready to give their lives. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. They're waiting to be picked. There are no laborers. I don't know if it's getting to you guys, but man, it's getting to me. We've got to figure this out. Also, we must become a church of small groups, not a church that does small groups or with small groups. Our small groups have got to evangelize. We, our, our main evangelism strategy cannot be we have church on Sunday and hope lost people come here and hear the gospel. We, that can't be our strategy. I know we're doing upward sports, and that's one good thing. But we've got you know, a bunch of small groups, we can have a bunch more if everybody participated. 
And those small groups could be bringing their friends to come to a barbecue or, or go to a play together or, or do some things together and share the gospel with them. Folks, we've got to get serious about this. We've just got to get serious. I mean, I mean, really, really serious about this. I was talking with some church planters yesterday, and Kevin Barnes, the, uh, the pastor at Legacy Church, the only church that we have planted, said, Michael, don't you think... I was sharing some of this with him. He said, he said, don't you think if you say this tomorrow, there might be some people in your church that would leave? I said, Kevin, that's possible. But they're not the people that are going to help us reach the lost. Folks, I, we've got to have a broken heart for the lost people. God is not just working in the Philippines. The difference is there are laborers there that pray their guts out and work like dogs to see that people hear the gospel. And it's their main priority in life. Not their kids' sports, not their hobbies, not the next boat they're going to buy, not their sports team. Listen, I love the Royals. I'm going to watch them. But listen, if I'm, if I'm talking with the lost guy and he says, now, what was this thing about Jesus? I'm going to turn the rolls off and I'm going to share the gospel with him. That's ten times, a thousand times, a million times more important than the World Series. I want you to come with me, folks. I want you to pray for the leadership of this church to figure these things out. I want you to pray for our ministry leaders to figure out ways that in their ministry, while they're doing their other things that they need to do, they're figuring out a way to lead a hundred people to Jesus. We are losing The kingdom of darkness is swallowing up this county. We got to push them back, folks. This is not a club, this is a war. And we got to act like warriors and not club members. I love you. You know, you know, I love you. Guys, we got to get really serious about this. And I want you to help us. And so you pray. You pray, and you begin to, I'm going to get my heart right. I want you to get your heart right with where you stand with the gospel and the lost people in your lives. I really think if we truly believe that the lost friends and neighbors and loved ones that we know are going to die without Jesus and spend an eternity separated from him, that has to do something to us, doesn't it? So you pray for us. By the way, If you're here this morning and you say, I don't understand what you're talking about, please do not leave here without understanding that all of us in this room are sinners and understanding that none of us can do anything to get rid of that. The only thing that can happen is a perfect man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, gave his life up freely and died on the cross to pay for those sins. And by putting our faith and trust in what he did on the cross, there's no hoops to jump through. There's no works to do. There's not a laundry list of stuff. By just simply putting our faith and trust in him to save us, he does. Because he loves us. All you have to do is just say a simple prayer. The Bible says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and you'll be saved. So repent from your sins today. Turn your life over to Jesus. If you need an ounce of help, please ask us. Please check the box on the back of that card before you leave today. Now for the rest of you. 
if you have even an inkling of interest in going to the Philippines in March, if it's even possibly on your radar, and by the way, if you're, and right now if you're thinking, I couldn't possibly have the funds, forget that. My God owns it all. If he wants you to go, the money will be there. But if you have a heart to go and let God change your life on that card, I want you to put Philippines or Manila, either one, and put it back in that basket before you leave today. We're going to get together this week because we've got to get started. We've got a lot to do in the next six months to go back there and have a, an impact on the churches there. I'm sorry I ran over time today, but uh, I, I, we need, you know, I want you to know that that option that is available um, to you. And so ask God. And like I said, even, you may not go at the end, but if you have even a tiny bit of interest, tiny bit of interest, put it on that card so that we can talk about it, begin praying about it, and see if God will bring the funds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in the Philippines. God, we know, we know that you love the people in Platte County just as much. We know that your spirit is just as powerful here as he is in the Philippines. I think the problem, Lord, is that they have really committed laborers. And I think maybe a lot of us are hobbyists. God, change us. Break our hearts for the people who don't know you. God, do something great in our lives and in our church. Use fellowship of grace to push back the kingdom of darkness. Use us to be your hands and feet in the world. Use us to be your voice in the world. God, help us to no longer be concerned. And Lord, you know I don't want to be obnoxious. You know I don't want to be mean-spirited or rude or any of those things. But God, don't let us be embarrassed about the gospel. And if people hate you, we're just going to go on. Help us, God, to get over that. Father, use us in a great way because we love you and you've changed our lives so much. We want others to experience that same thing. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be in the Philippines. I pray you'll bring many people in March. I pray that you'll help us to establish a great partnership uh, with Pastor Arnold and our churches will be able to help and pray for one another. God, we just expect great things from you because you are a great God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Hope you were challenged this morning um, just from some of the details of their trip and just the, the challenge there about the urgency of our mission um, this life that, that we're, we're living. So more things coming, coming related to that in the next few weeks. Uh, a lot of other different things going on uh, here, here shortly as well. We've got a couple of meetings today, children's ministry meeting immediately following the service. And then at 1 o'clock we'll have our business meeting. And I hope you can come to that. A lot of different things going on. And um, Pastor Michael mentioned the Royals. The, uh, I think everybody knows they're in the World Series. A couple of big games this week, Tuesday and Wednesday night. If you want to come, uh, hang out here at the church. We're going to throw it up on the big screen and, and bring some snacks with you. We'll just kind of hang out. Maybe bring your neighbors if, you know, if they've got, you know, small 70 or 80 inch TVs, they can come watch it on the, you know, big, big, big screen here with, with some people. A great opportunity just to hang out. Uh, more details we'll throw, throw out on the city. And then uh, next week you get to sleep, uh, an hour later, if you don't have small kids, fall back, daylight savings time. And then we've also got our carpet removal fellowship. I think that's the official title that we're calling it. Probably one of the most fun things you'll ever be a part of. So come in, we'll feed you some pizza, and we're going to rip out the carpet so the professionals can come in the next week and, and re-carpet our, our church uh, building. And then you'll see some other things there. We'll, we'll mention 
uh, mentioned next week. I'm going to have Mike Ellis come up and close us in a word of prayer, Mike. Um, he's going to just let us know about the Kairos ministry. We mentioned it last week, um, but just tell us how we can be praying and partnering with that ministry over the next couple of weeks. Thank you, Derek. Uh, the first time I went into the weekend Kairos ministry, the 30 inmates that participated, one of the men shared, as the course of the weekend went by, how he had been impacted. And he said that if he had known some men like the guys that came in, if he had heard the stories about God loving him when he was growing up, his life would have been on a totally different path. And I've thought about that a number of times since then. This guy didn't grow up in Southeast Asia or some third world country. He's from Kansas City. He grew up here. And as Michael said, he's one of those hundreds of thousands that need to hear the gospel. You can't go into prison in two weeks when we do this next Kairos weekend, but you can be praying for the 30 inmates who have accepted an invitation to come for that short course in Christianity for the weekend, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday till the afternoon. Out on the connection table, there's some uh, little uh, prayer slips, colored slips. Uh, sign your name four times, your first name only, four times, and, and your town where you live. Um, pray each day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There's a little reminder slip in the uh, 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 placard there what do we call that uh on the on the connection table get a little reminder slip you can post it on your mirror or keep it in your bible or someplace to to pray those four days and be praying that god does a mighty work to impact uh, those men's lives let's close in prayer today god our heavenly father we thank you so much for giving us the gift of life eternal life abundant life give us the willing hearts to share that message with those in our lives that we can influence that we can point to you as we go into this week, Father, let us think about what Michael has challenged us with today, how we can be a part of sharing your love here where we live. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chain.